0: Welcome to the podcast, Canadian Culture. I'm your host, Dr. Rio Beaumont, musician, educator, researcher, and an expert in Canadian music and culture. In this podcast, I interview renowned Canadians who've made significant contributions in different fields of the arts. The website is canadianculturepodcast.com we will find more information about the guests and links to their websites and social media. Today's guest has a global influence through the spheres of technology, philanthropy, and social change. He co-founded the Commons Group back in 1998, was managing director of Telecentre, he's a board member of the Toronto Arts Foundation, and is affiliated with the Shuttleworth Foundation and the McLuhan Foundation. He's best known as executive director of the Mozilla Foundation. We have with us, of course, Mark Sermon. For listeners, the Mozilla Foundation is probably most famous for owning the company that created the open source browser Firefox. The Mozilla Foundation's also expanded into many other areas as a nonprofit organization that was launched back in 2003. Mark, you've been executive director of the Mozilla Foundation since 2008, but there have been tremendous changes in the world, especially in the Internet, over the past 13 years. Yet there seems to be a consistent approach that Mozilla has had towards the Internet to build a strong and transparent learning and sharing community. Open source and open education resources have supported that approach so how would you say that open source has really changed the user experience on the Internet? And what's also changed for Mozilla during that period of time?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the beginning is pretty simple. It's just the, what has made the Internet so special and um, you know, affected sort of how it's grown is that it was, was open from the beginning. People could take the technology and, and use it to say anything they wanted. Do anything they, they, you know, create anything they wanted because the technology was, was, you know, in effect open source right from the beginning, the core internet protocols. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was true with the web that Tim Berners-Lee, uh, helped develop the technology around. And Mozilla was, you know, part of that. And as Microsoft was taking, um, they kind of sucked the, trying to suck the web into Windows, which is something that happened uh, around the, the turn of the century, around the 1999, 2000, they had 98 percent market share in Internet Explorer. That whole idea of the Internet as an open resource that anyone could control was actually a threat in some subtle ways that most people didn't even notice, other than a little pop-up saying, "Hey, you know, this is, this website only runs best on Internet Explorer." So mm-hmm. the Mozilla Foundation was created as a counterbalance to that, as a defender of the open building blocks of the internet, the programming languages of the web, uh, the underlying open source technology, the idea that knowledge should be free, and Firefox was really a, a kind of counterbalance itself in the marketplace, an alternative way of um, browsing the web that, that kind of countered Microsoft and brought those open standards back to the fore. And it was was that that a lot of the things we have today, uh, whether that's Google or Facebook or a, a small WordPress website that you run um, were possible because we kind of brought the open web back to the floor uh, with Firefox, right. and of course that has shaped everything that we're we're still doing to this day. A lot of which is about how do you take those open source principles principles around privacy, transparency, free knowledge, yeah. uh, and and continue them in a the world of AI and and big data. But also something has changed. And so we still think that that's critical to humanity getting the most of the internet. We've also seen how that openness, uh, has kind of bent us back is, you know, people have weaponized open communication, uh, into disinformation, into conspiracy theory, into undermining elections. Um, and so we're still on that same path. We're still focused on those same things in terms of an, an open internet. So we're right in the midst of grappling with what does it look like to do that in a way that takes a lot of the social concerns today that we have into account as well.
0: All right. Well, since you mentioned that, I'd like to gain your insight and your perspective on the connection between culture and technology, especially in Canada. Uh, Is it now, or would you say, an entirely global community with a global perspective, or has being Canadian and, and educated in Canada shaped your approach, especially with this country's aim of continuing to develop social awareness and a social conscience?
1: You know, I, I think it's a tricky question in that you know, I, I'm Canadian. I, I grew up studying communications, being a documentary filmmaker and a community video activist in Canada. And get and doing my early part of my internet career here in Canada, and I still live here. And to me, Canada has such a rich tradition of thinking about the connections between technology and society. And you know, whether that's McLuhan, you know, thinking about a global village and not just that you know, television or, or radio or telecommunications or, mm. or wires and technology or Ursula Franklin talking about the balance between prescriptive and holistic technologies. You know, we have such a rich history of thinking, and then also, you know, history in things like the National Film Board or the CDC in technology and and media serving society. And so I like to think that Canada offers that worldview uh, at a time where we really need it, that we have to to think about how we want technology and society to dance together uh, effectively and, and to a certain degree how technology has been driven by commerce can dance together with the, the public interest um, and so I, I think it is a, we live on a global network uh, and, and so much of what has been we live with every day on the internet is, is spans globally or comes from, from transnational big companies um, but Canada could bring that voice to the, the table in terms of balancing social work, um, you know the social and the commercial and the technological I would say though that we really struggled to do that. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I look back, I look at my, my bookshelf, and I see McLuhan there, and I see Ursula Franklin there. Like, what are the things that that I think about in terms of Canada and the internet? And strangely, I came across this 1997 uh, federal report, "Preparing Canada for a Digital World," which was the the report of the Information Highway Advisory Council. Which to think back, that we were using the phrase. Information Highway is even kind of funny. But, but like, yeah. at that time, I went back, and in there, it's it's the machinations of thinking about the history of Canadian culture and the Broadcast Act and how we made those yeah. decisions over the last 75 years balancing society and technology. Mm-hmm. And, and when I looked at that report and I looked at it at the end, we kind of got stuck. There wasn't any thinking that actually helped us get into the Internet era, in terms of how the government, how as a society, um, we shape where the Internet is going to go or even what, what it's going to mean for Canadians. Really? So I, I think it's a roundabout way of saying Canada has a lot to offer the question of where does the Internet go and how do we balance the interests of, of technology and society in our spirit, in our history. But we really failed to engage and, and step up in that conversation in a way which I think we, we could have and, and maybe still can.
0: Well, technology and society, as you say, are they're so closely intertwined now. And it actually reminds me of one of your initiatives, Drumbeat, which, to my understanding, it combines web literacy and content creation, quite often in the arts, because it involves a number of artists working in different disciplines. You've said that people want Mozilla to help them learn how to apply the culture and skills of the web to their own domain. So, can you tell us more about how adding that cultural perspective to art has maybe changed the art itself and about the important role of web literacy, especially the role it's going to play going forward in the future of the internet and content creation
1: well the you know the work that we did on web, web literacy you know five, six, seven years ago uh, looked at this question of you know what is what do we need to know to be full citizens in this digital era? And also, what what do we want to do in terms of building education systems or even building products to help people know those things? And obviously, you know, one aspect of of literacy is being able to read, understand what's going on, like whether that's a book or understanding what's going on in technology, including, you know, being able to discern what's what's truthful information. And that's a, a thing that we really need, more of a kind of digital literacy skill of, of reading and discerning. Uh, and then, of course, another aspect of literacy is being able to to write, to be able to communicate back. Um, and that's a place where as people have learned, not even necessarily learned to code, but learned that we all can be um, expressing ourselves through the technology. It's one of the great affordances of the internet is anyone can communicate freely. Um, you know, that does shape who speaks, um, you know, what what culture is, and, and in our case of this podcast, what Canadian culture is, because mm-hmm. there's a potential for there to be a, a bigger diversity of voices. Right. And then the third thing that we talk about web literacy is the ability to participate. So being able to read, being able to write, being able to participate. And that's the key thing that I, I think, A, is new. Um, You know, we really didn't talk about participating and and participatory culture when we we talk about written word literacy or either even media literacy from the last 40 years. Um, And B, it's the thing that is different about what internet culture brings us uh, that has affected the art and expression and, and just actually the culture we all live in every day.
0: And one of those aspects of culture and the internet that you mentioned before, is artificial intelligence, which has become a global influencer in culture. You've said that if we want a healthy internet, we need to make sure AI is trustworthy. And Mozilla's built many exciting digital products and services, and you've also recommended that content not promote misinformation, which we really saw a lot of with political ads on the election. But if we look at AI from a cultural perspective, you know, the use of algorithms is playing an increasingly greater role in driving cultural trends on a global scale, especially in music. I wrote an article, AI as DJ, because I wanted to outline the influence that it's exerting on decision-making processes of a global community of listeners so in your experience what do you think the future role of artificial intelligence is in connection with the internet and the arts content that's being created?
1: Well, it's, I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on yes. that. <laughs> AI is already the, AI already is the DJ or the or the program of, of the television channel. Um, you know, if you think about YouTube which is I can't remember amount that that people watch i mean it's as much or more than what i would have watched as television uh, when i was a kid i mean the number of average viewing hours for youtube is huge and more importantly 75 percent of content viewed on youtube comes from the youtube content recommendation algorithm so it's not something somebody went and sought, but it's something that was recommended by that ai and say watch next or here's some suggested Pieces And it's the same, as you say, on Spotify with, with music. And and I, I think it's really an important thing for us to, to sit in. Uh, one, because there can be delight in it, especially, you know, I find Spotify's AI better than YouTube's. Um, but also, on the other hand, um, it is the opposite of the participatory nature of the Internet. The participatory nature of the Internet is anyone can speak, anyone can communicate, and that has shaped a, a really interesting culture. But what we, you know, what the, happens with the, the AI uh, role in content recommendation is it's optimizing for something. And usually it's optimizing for what is in the benefit of the company. So we know it's well documented that the, the YouTube algorithm optimizes for keeping you glued so you can see the most ads and, you know, keeping you there to watch ads. And it's watching us and watching what's going to keep you glued. And, and that ultimately is actually something that has Led to a, a, a lot of the conspiracy theories and misinformation growing because that actually keeps people watching. It's sensational, mm-hmm. um, and so we're already seeing the social side effects. Much less the you know the the feeling of being used a little bit. <laughs> yeah. They come from when we rely on AIs to decide what we listen to or what we watch, and their incentives uh, are to make us listen to or watch things that are to the benefit of, of these big platforms that. That run them. Um, And I'm not very optimistic about that. Mm. I am optimistic that we're starting to wake up to it and and a lot of people, including Mozilla, uh, are saying we want something different, something that's a lot more like the the original participatory culture of the internet that that brought us here.
0: So where do you see it going? Where would you or the Mozilla Foundation like to see the direction that the internet can take with upcoming global trends that you, you hope are in the future?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Mozilla is a, a non-profit uh, at its heart. And um, we actually own the company that makes Firefox. And, and so I think, I just think we need more institutions in the world that have public benefit at their root, whether that's Mozilla or the CBC, uh, you know, who are looking out for the future of the of the mediascape and, and the internet. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's that's something we want to, we need, right? We can't just leave this to commerce alone uh, where our digital society goes.
0: Exactly. And nicely said. Thank you so much, Mark, for being here today. For listeners who would like to learn more about the Foundation, please visit foundation.mozilla.org On the social media handles on Facebook and Twitter are at Mozilla. The links and more information are also available at canadianculturepodcast.com. Mark, I'd like to thank you for all the great work that you're doing, for the insights, and I wish you the very best on these upcoming projects. It's definitely going to help shape our future and the future of the Internet going forward. So thanks again.
1: Awesome. Great. Talk to you soon. Thank you.
0: This is Rhea Beaumont for the Canadian Culture Podcast. If you'd like to support the project, please become a patron at the website canadianculturepodcast.com or visit patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash raya beaumont thanks very much for listening until next time